0: Welcome to Research Uncensored, a podcast by Research FDI, your trusted investment attraction and business intelligence partner. Join me, Bruce Takafman, and my co-host, Amber Hunter, as we bring you behind the scenes with economic development professionals around the world.
1: We're going to find out the real stories behind the project wins and get to know some of the top players in the game today. We would like to thank the Next Move Group for sponsoring today's podcast, Next Move Group helps small to medium sized companies, communities, and organizations create economic growth through executive searches that assist economic development organizations with hiring quality EDO professionals. They also provide site selection services to manufacturers, in addition to a suite of products designed to help organizations be successful.
0: Welcome to another episode of Research Uncensored. Joined as always by my co host, Amber Hunter.
1: Hi, Bruce. How are you today?
0: pretty good it's a unfortunately a rainy day here in montreal so you have to get your umbrella if you go outside
1: i know uh as you know i have a week off next week and i had many plans to go to the lakes and the beaches but i, I quickly realized that canada has a, a different idea so i think i'll be more on the bike path than in the water but i'm I'm okay with that
0: who approved this time off
1: uh, uh someone you are unfamiliar with your wife <laughs> hr oh.
0: Well, I guess the real boss uh, made that approval. So enjoy your vacation then.
1: Ah, so I'm really excited today. We're going to be talking to Shira O'Connor Muggler. She has uh, just an amazing career working throughout Europe and, and Asia and Africa. Um, she's had her own companies. She's worked with Conway for many years. Um, uh, she is so well-traveled. Uh, I met her actually, incidentally, in Liverpool, UK, a few years ago at one of Conway's FDI forums. It was an amazing event. So I'm really looking forward to talking to her, kind of living vicariously through her stories of travel, because as you and all our listeners know, we've been grounded for quite a while now. Um, I guess my question to you, Bruce, is once you know our passports uh, become usable again, where, what would be your dream destination?
0: Good question. I do have a bit of cabin fever. And Shira, our guest coming up, has been to over 100 countries. But to answer your question... I think I promised my wife one day I would take her to Hawaii. So I think that'd be my top choice, you know, get my Hawaiian shirt dusted off and uh, take that long 10 hour flight to get to Hawaii. What about you?
1: Oh, well, yeah, I've always wanted to to go to Hawaii, but the 10 hour flight has made me hesitant. You know, sometimes when you're going on vacation, you kind of just want a quick four hour there and back, but. Hawaii would be good. I think if I could go anywhere right now, it probably would be the south of France, kind of nice. I just love the vibe there. Everyone is just so calm. You know, you just kind of sit, laid back. It's a great place. Um, But I think we're probably making everyone nostalgic for their traveling days. So I think we should probably get to Shira, who will have a lot to say about economic development, uh, public relations, uh, consulting. And I'm really excited to hear a little bit about her life and, you know, the hundred countries that she's traveled. So without further ado, let's dial her in.
0: All right, let's welcome our next guest all the way from Cape Town, South Africa, but now residing in New York City. Shira O'Connor, welcome to the program. How you doing? I'm
2: doing great, Bruce. Thank you. Wow, what a what an intro. How's your summer going? <laughs> it's going great. Um, it's winding up too quickly, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, it's starting to get a little chilly here in Montreal. Hopefully, uh, the, the warm weather will find us.
2: Yeah, yeah. The uh same
1: here in New York. I think we're going to we're going to have a
2: tough winter, which is, you know, just the perfect top-off to this year. <laughs>
1: 2020 wouldn't want us to have it any other way, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. That's right. We'll probably, you know, have a series of polar vortexes just to put the icing on the cake. Yeah, just to top it off, you know, in a fitting style, I think. Um, well, Shire, I really want to thank you for joining us today. We're really excited to chat with you. Uh, it's my understanding that, uh, you know, in the start of life, your dad worked for the U.S. government, for the State Department in the Foreign Service. So I believe that you had, let's just say, a life well-traveled. Can you maybe tell your listeners what that looked like for you growing up?
2: Oh, my gosh. Well, definitely a life well-traveled. Um, so I was born in Cape Town, South Africa, as Bruce mentioned. Lived in India for five years, lived in Thailand for several years, Portugal, um, traveled all over the world as a child. It was, it was a wonderful experience. And then as an adult, I lived in the Netherlands for about eight years before um, ending up in New York with the Netherlands Foreign Investment Agency. I was working with them, and they transferred me to the Dutch consulate in New York, and that's how I ended up here. So, yeah, now
0: now you consider yourself a nomad, but you and Tim Tebow have one thing in common. You're both Florida Gators You're from the University of Florida. So you majored with a BFA in design. And as you mentioned, you got hit by the travel bug. I I know you also mentioned to me offline. You uh, did some semesters abroad in Thailand, uh, Portugal living in India. Uh, Did your love of traveling really affect uh, your ability to want to be in this business and really work in PR promoting places?
2: No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, just, you know, being exposed to the different cultures and um, and the economies, you know, I've always, even as a child, been really uh, impacted by what a strong economy can do for a country. You know, obviously living in India in the 70s was, was a really eye-opening experience, especially for someone who um, you know is an American, and and we enjoy so many comforts and um, things we take for granted here. So, having a strong economy has always been something that's been top of mind for me. So, I when I graduated from university, my first job out of school was working with an advertising agency in Washington D.C., and we worked with all um, all the different missions, commercial. Um, you know, uh, services from the different countries, you know, in the different embassies and whatnot in D.C. So that was my first exposure to economic development. And I was bitten by the bug. I loved it. Great. And in
0: 1991, living in the Netherlands, uh, you were working with Conway as their director of Europe. Talk about the early days of your career working for Conway and, of course, for their famous founder, McKinley Conway.
2: Yes. Yes. So the, um, that was literally working with Conway with my second job out of school. Um, and you know, I was really fortunate. I was in the Netherlands working in their office. They had an office in Utrecht and I was living in Amsterdam and traveling again, traveling all over the world with, you know, Conway's an international organization, um, going to trade shows and, you know, Working with economic development clients as well as running their um, association, which was kind of the precursor to what is now Cornet. It was called IDRC, um, which merged with NACOR to become Cornet. And then, of course, Conway later on launched IAMC. So it was a similar type of organization. It It was a wonderful experience. Traveled all over Europe, all over Asia. It was great.
0: What was it like working in this business kind of without having the internet, without having internet access at all or the World Wide Web not even existed?
2: No, we did have internet access. <laughs> Come on,
0: Bruce. <Chris.
2: laughs> <laughs> <laughs> <It was> not- <laughs> yeah, well, we did. It was basic, but we, we had, uh, it was different. It was different. Um, but, you know, we didn't, ha- I mean, when did we get AOL? I don't think we got AOL until like 93 or 94, But um, we had really a basic DOS-based system that we communicated with. So it was more like, you know, um, sort of like instant messenger. And, you know, obviously we had email. Um, Funnily enough, Conway was actually one of the very first companies to even have a website. They were, you know, early adopters back in the day. And um, But it was tough. You know, we take so much for granted in the information age. Um, you know, researching things, just even getting people's contact information was was really a challenge. And so we relied so much more on travel. And I would add, we we even had CRM systems back then. <laughs> there were no Rolodexes. <laughs> I
0: feel I feel bad now. I'm painting you as a dinosaur that maybe you weren't. You weren't. So apologies <laughs> on
1: <laughs> So. Then you moved on to work with the Netherlands Foreign Investment Agency, uh, the NFIA. What was this first taste of the public sector like for you moving from the private?
2: You know, it was interesting. Again, um, we didn't have, even then, that was in 97, I was like almost 98. We didn't have all of the database tools and um, just the data that we have today. So everything was... Done. I don't want to say manually, but it was pounding the pavement, meeting with companies, going to trade shows and building data that way. Um, It was, you know, we were really heavily reliant on print to promote. And, you know, it's funny how um, fairly quickly we've come in a short amount of time. Uh, But it it was it was wonderful. Um, You know, we had a large team in the U.S. at that time several offices and I was working on the PR and marketing
1: for them. Interesting. And then I believe around that time you went on to work in several public relations positions, including for Regis, Rudifin, and Spring, uh, Spring O'Brien, and then moved back to the public sector with the UK trade and investment. Can you talk about all of those experiences and, and what you primarily did and, and how that PR experience kind of translated into your public sector work?
2: Yeah. So, you know, all through even working with the the PR firms, my clients were always economic development groups. So always working with government agencies and promoting economies. So I never strayed off that path. Um, I went to work for UK Trade and Investment because I felt like I needed to get back on the government, the other side of the desk and work for government, I think, to really understand your clients you need to sort of walk in their shoes and understand their pain points and what they're dealing with. Um, and I felt it was time. I had been away from, you know, the public sector for quite some time and I thought I need to get back and, and just find out what the issues are today, what, what they're grappling with. So I worked with UK trade and investment for, um, a few years. It was again great experience. It was when they launched the Great Campaign, which was which is still going strong today. Um, great team of people. Again, big organization at the time, and I don't know what the numbers are for them today, but there were about 120 staff in North America for UK Trade and Investment. So, you know, PR, marketing, trade shows. Um, pretty much what I've been doing, you know, throughout my career. At that point, um, just doing it for for one uh, organization as opposed to many.
0: Now, after a successful run over at UKTI, you got bit by the entrepreneur bug and you created the Punk <laughs> Group in 2007. Uh, talk about your decision to kind of venture off on your own.
2: You know what? It was um, it, it was driven by. We, we had a PR firm at the time we were working with, and, um, and this was a, a, a large PR firm, and I felt like they did not understand economic development. You know, for the very reason I had left the public sector and gone back to, um, I mean, the private sector and gone back to the public sector, I, you know, you need to understand what the challenges and issues are within the government agencies, and I felt like they just didn't get it. Uh, We were paying them huge amounts of money, and I was doing all the work, Um, (laughs) and I I thought, why am I paying these people when they really don't understand what we're doing? You know, I'm doing all the work. My team and I are doing all the work. Uh, I feel like I felt like I could do it better than they could, so that's when I I made the decision to start the PONC group. And it, um, it just took off. My very first client was um, at the time was called the British Midland. So it was a UK based regional economic development agency or investment promotion agency. And we um, it's the punk just took off. It grew and grew. And, you know, and I think that the clients appreciated the fact that, you know, that we, Hit the ground running. We just intuitively understood what their mission was and and what needed to be done.
0: No doubt. And at, at its prime, the pond Group uh, served many different economic development organizations, like you mentioned. During the prime of, of the organization, how many clients and employees did you serve all at once when you guys were at your prime?
2: Oh my gosh! So we, I would say, you know, we were still small. So we had about 10 people, um, total and client our client base. We were probably, oh, I'm going to say maybe just shy of 20 clients, um, you know, doing different things for them. Some of them, there was, you know, more heavy lifting. We were doing public, you know, more public relations focused work. Um, some of them, it was events work, uh, you know, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but the punk group, we actually ran the first two site selector guild events. And we also ran the first select USA event. So um, we did a lot of event work as well. And the, um, and just sort of jumping in where our clients needed assistance and needed, you know, support so that it could have been on the marketing side, PR or, you know, events so it, it was kind of a mixed bag but again always in this environment in this ecosystem
0: so uh, you had h- six hugely successful years uh, and then in 2013 the company in which you started your career conway approached you about acquisition how did that come about and were you interested in first talk about the process of uh, being acquired and kind of the, the discussions that led to it
2: yeah. You know, I, I had always been, you know, Conway's always been sort of friends and family to, to me, um, where I really, you know, for the, all practical purposes started my career and I'd been in touch with them, you know, over the years. And it actually all came about at Mipim one year, um, sitting around having dinner at MIPIM and we just started talking about it. And, um, and then the next thing you know, we're in discussions and negotiating <laughs> the sale, and it, it was it was a lot of fun. It was an exciting time, and um, we uh, putting together an organization that um, was holistic in the sense that we uh, the the goal was to put together an organization that um, filled the requirements, you know, all of the clients' requirements. So you know, we had the PR marketing. We had advisory that did a lot of the heavy lifting on research. We had um, the lead generation. Of course, there's publishing with um, site selection, and then events with the World Forum. And what we the vision was to put together, uh, you know, I hate to use this term, but you know, the one-stop shop where we could address all of our clients' needs. So it was it was a a fun time it was it was great
0: so in 2013 the acquisition goes through you're going to enter your second tenure at conway obviously much different than your first one back in 1991 talk about your second tenure over there and some of the stuff you accomplished with the team over there
2: yeah it was um it was it was a lot of fun and it was exciting and one of the things that um was really attracted to me about working with conway again and you know and and selling the punk group to begin with was Conway's global reach. Um, I knew that I would never be able to make those contacts and um, work with all these markets that I was so interested in with, without them. Um, so it was exactly that. I mean, with Conway, you know, you're one, you're in places that you never <laughs> thought you'd ever be, you know, you're, you're in Egypt. You're in Macedonia. I mean, literally everywhere. Um, so that was a lot of fun, being able to be introduced to all these different cultures and people, and learn about you know their economies and and um, and where they were struggling and what they needed to achieve to you know ensure economic su- success and and prosperity. And um, it was it was a lot of fun.
1: Once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. So after six years as a principal at Conway, you then uh, formed a new entity yourself, uh, Underpinned, which I believe is now entering its second year. Can you tell our listeners what Underpinned is up to and some of the services that your team offers? Yeah. So, you know, the um, I think I, you know,
2: looking back, I think I probably sold the punk group too soon in the sense that I hadn't fulfilled everything that I, I wanted to at that point. So I did get that entrepreneurial bug again and, and launched Ponts. I mean, launched, underpinned um, the beginning of 2019. And this, you know, our goal was to become exactly what the name implies, is, was to underpin and support um, our clients in different ways. So, the initial concept was to not have to be the agency of record, but just come in and work in areas where we specialize, you know, like take little bits of the work. Um, if they're having issues in certain areas, come in and um, help support and shore up those initiatives for them. So, the, the concept is not to be, you know, all in. in and intertwined with the client, but to come in and basically fix, you know, the issues. Um, and that's worked out really well. We still are the agency. We've, you know, just by default, we've become the agency of record for several of our clients, but we still take, you know, smaller projects and, um, and just help underpin what they're doing. So that, that's worked out really well. And, uh, we work with a wide range of clients. I always laugh because it's everyone, you know, from Thailand to Iceland, you know, how could you be <laughs> more different? But, um, it's, uh, it's, again, it's, it's a lot of fun and we have great clients and the work is, is, it's really good work. It's interesting.
1: Amazing. And with all that going on, you also started a role at advanced CT, which is the formerly Connecticut economic resource center. Can you speak to some of the cool initiatives that you're doing with them?
2: Yeah, now this is, this is a a really great role. I am um, the vice president of marketing for advanced CT. And what's so exciting about this again, it's, it's that entrepreneurial um, thing that I love. So advanced CT is, is, a new organization that's just been launched in Connecticut uh, responsible for business recruitment and um, and also retention. So it's the business development arm of the state's economic development machine. Um, it works very closely with the Department of um, Economic and Community Development. So the um, it, it's a startup. It's a startup economic development agency, and it, it's it's um it's really interesting to to be on the ground floor of, of that organization and, and you know, watch it build and it's building very quickly and also to go through the pandemic with them um and the state's response. And I don't you know, for people who track this stuff, Connecticut uh, has done an amazing job. Governor Lamont's done an amazing job in managing the pandemic in Connecticut and uh you know What's really um, wonderful to see is, you know, you can see the, the wheels of commerce starting to turn again, you know, RFIs are coming in and more meetings and it, it's, you know, I feel like, you know, I don't, obviously can't predict what's going to happen with the pandemic, but I feel the energy starting to build again on the business side. And I I feel like hopefully, <clears throat> you know, and this happens around the world that, that commerce starts, you know, reigniting and taking off again.
0: Shara, thanks again uh, for joining us today. How could our listeners get a hold of you if they want to reach you?
2: Um, You can always reach me uh, on my, I'll give my number is 646. It's a U.S. number, 496-7668, or on my email address which is a little more complicated. So it's long. So I think the, the phone number is probably the easiest or website, which is underpinnedinc.com.
0: Last question, I'm going to put you on the spot. Where will Underpin be in five years?
2: In five years, you know, it's hard to say, but, um, you know, I, I would say working with in, um, interesting projects in, in hopefully developing countries, as well as, um, you know, a a wide range of clients from North America and Europe. But, um, you know, I think if I'm looking at growth areas, um, I'm thinking Africa, I'm thinking Southeast Asia. So and also probably more um, Eastern Europe. I think, you know, countries like Romania, Bulgaria, I think we're going to start seeing a lot more activity so, it you know, it could be anywhere. That's what's so fun about this business. You never know where you're going to end
0: up. Stay tuned. Well, thanks again for joining us and stay safe, my friend. Thank you all for tuning in. You can find us on the web at www.researchfdi.com, on LinkedIn and on Twitter at researchfdi. Tune in next week as we have another guest from the economic development world.